You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, good morning, New Life. How are we doing today? Y'all doing good? Y'all doing good? Well, it's good to be back today, and uh, I forgot to tell Pastor JB, I'm six foot two. I like long walks on the beach, and he was doing my intro, and I didn't give him enough information there, so, man, it's so good to be with you guys today, and of course, New Life is home. We are, we are visiting today, but New Life is home, and you guys will never know the role that you have played in our family's life, and just so many works of miraculous healing and provision and stuff that nobody probably will ever know about that God did because of our time right here at New Life. And so thank you so much for for your investment into our family. And as as Pastor JB said, we launched Awaken Church in January of 2023 or 2022. We we haven't launched it yet. We've just been playing games for a year. So uh, we launched it in in January of this year. And man, what a journey it has been. Um, I won't lie to you. It's been tough. It's been, it has been a grind. Planning a church is a grind and it is it's high highs and low lows, but through it all, you know, I was writing in my journal the other day and some of the things, some of the hurts that come with it, because if you do something for God, hurts are going to associate with it. You're going to get hurt. I don't mean to, to really be a Debbie Downer right here out of the gate, but if you do something for God, there's going to be some pain associated with it. We'll talk about that in the sermon today, but as I was writing through my journal, writing some of the things that we faced and some of the ways it made me feel, I wrote, you know, this one disappointed, this happened, this person left this whatever and through all of it I said they may have left and they may have disappointed me and they may have hurt me but you never did he never left he never disappointed me and yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you know why I'm not going to fear any evil because the Lord my God is with me and his rod and his staff they comfort me and so today no matter what you're facing I need to let you know you have a God that is with you and so he's been faithful to us and God is moving in Cartersville and and there's a lot of there's a lot of turmoil that we face and there's a lot of uh, of of you know fights and battles that we face but can I tell you because of your generosity to invest in our family and because of the church's willingness to to be let us be sent and to go plant a church that over 30 people have accepted Jesus in just the last 6 months we've been able to baptize been able to baptize eight people. And I'm going to tell you, I get excited about, you know, we get excited about conversions and stuff. And, and honestly, when I, when I thought about giving you guys a report about what God is doing, I'm not one of those guys that thinks that we need to keep score by those things. Because it, it can get real easy to just say, you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We can keep score that way. I'm going to tell you one of, the, one of the numbers that is the most exciting to me is the fact that I've had four individuals within our church come to me and say, I believe God has laid it on my heart that he wants me to preach the gospel. So it's not just that people are receiving salvation, they're receiving purpose and calling. And they're taking next steps in their faith. And today, if you've been saved, we celebrate the fact that you found salvation in Jesus. But I tell you, he didn't save you to sit on a seat. He saved you to do something in the kingdom. And God has a calling on your life. And so I want you to be sensitive and listen to the Holy Spirit because I believe that he has something to say to you today. So I'm going to get into the word. I got, I got a lot of stuff today. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. I like to be polished and have a, a, a whole thing that I know what we're doing and where we're going and how we're getting there. And, and, and uh, the truth is that I am a recovering Pentecostal preacher, and I have recently relapsed. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I'm re- I really wish Pastor Allen was here for that joke because I think he would have really appreciated it. 
But we do love Pastor Allen. I honor him today, man. He's, he is, he's not just, wasn't just my boss. He's become my friend and uh, one of my mentors and somebody that speaks into my life. And so, Pastor Allen, Miss Kathy, if you're watching, which you're in California, you're probably still asleep right now. But we love you. We celebrate you. And we honor you today. And, man, wish you could be here. But understand completely. He texted me this week and said, man, I hate I'm going to miss you. And I said, no, I understand if I had scheduled me to preach, I wouldn't be there either. So, you know, it's, it's all good. First Kings chapter number 18 is where we're going today. I'm going to tell you what I have for you today. The word today, I'm inviting you into my sessions of Bible study and reading in that I just got a lot of little nuggets from a passage of scripture that I want to drop on you. And so this is kind of like if you go to a cafeteria, you go to a buffet, you ain't going to eat it all, but you might find something that you like in there. And so grab a hold of that thing and, and just absolutely devour it and eat on it this week because I believe that God is going to speak to you. First Kings chapter number 18, verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Look at this verse. Then the fire of the Lord fell. This is not a metaphor. This is not just like this symbolic, no, literally fire from heaven fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people had saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can you talk about revival? This is a revival moment in the life of Elijah and the nation of Israel. Now go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that, say this, say all things. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Everything works together for the good of those who love God. I want to say a word of prayer over our time together today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that you would just get me out of the way today. Lord, I pray that you would let me speak exactly what you would have me to say. And I pray that right now the anointing would go forth and break every yoke of bondage. Prepare our hearts to receive. And Lord, I pray that when this is all said and done, we would have an encounter with you, with what your word has said. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I also want to say my wife is right here on the front row. And she is the best part of this whole team. You know, when we first came on staff, um, one of the main things that, you know, we came and we interviewed, and one of the main things that Pastor Allen shared vision with me about was that we weren't just going to be student pastors. We were student young adult pastors, and part of that was that we were going to remodel and renovate the basement down here. How many of you been here for more than four years? Anybody in the room been here for more than four years? How many of y'all remember that basement back in the day? I mean, it was a beautiful place that was full of lovely trinkets. It was just there was so much junk, and that's a nice word for it, to say junk, that was down in that basement when we walked down there. But he began to share the vision about creating a space for students and young adults. And, man, that excited me. I was like, no, this is going to be awesome because it's a massive space. If you've been down there, it's, it's a beautiful space that we have now. And so I got super excited about that. Then when they offered the job to us to come on staff, man, that was, that was one of the huge vision points for us was we're going to plan this thing. And, and man, I, we, we, we Pinterested everything. I mean, we're like, we need it to look like this and like this and like this, and it's going to be awesome. And it was so exciting to carry the vision of that new space in with us when we came on staff. The vision was super exciting, but then we started to do it. 
And the vision was awesome. But the year and a half worth of work days, every other month it seemed like, were not that awesome. The vision was awesome, but the putting together of 64 metal chairs, six bistro tables, 24 benches. I remember how many there were because I put every single one of them together because I was not, I had not learned the art of delegation yet at this point in my ministry. And so literally I sat up there at the house and I was putting the backs on chairs and I was putting tables together and I was doing all this stuff. And I thought to myself, you know what? This vision isn't nearly as exciting right now as it was the moment that Pastor Allen pitched to me about renovating the basement. Then we finally got everything done, and it was awesome. But I'm going to tell you something. The vision was exciting, but the process was excruciating. The vision was, I bought into the vision, but you ain't bought into something until you put some sweat equity into that thing. You ain't bought into something until you have actually gone through some things that didn't feel good and that weren't exciting and nobody was patting you on the... Wasn't nobody up there saying, man, you're doing a great job putting these chairs together, Tyler. I just want to let you know. No, it was a process. The process was excruciating. We opened our text today by reading about this man named Elijah and this beautiful moment in Scripture. And, and honestly, if you're a preacher and you can't preach Elijah, like you need to find something different to do because Elijah is just about the most preachable dude in all of Scripture... And he shows up on this mountain and literally falls fire down from, calls fire down from heaven. And it's amazing. And everybody is excited. And the people fall on their face. And you re- we read it right there. They said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. It's fantastic. And we see that moment of power, one of the most popular points of Elijah's entire life and ministry. But I need you to know that that moment was not where Elijah's story began. That was not where his life took off. That's not where we're introduced to Elijah. We're not introduced to him on the Mount Carmel. We're not introduced to him with fire falling. And so the big idea of my sermon today is actually the title of my sermon today. And it's this, moments of power require seasons of process. If you want to have the big, powerful moment where everybody's like, oh, God is working, then you got to be willing to go through a season of process Where nobody's saying, oh, God is working. So now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's jump into the beginning of Elijah's Elijah's story. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. Pause right there. The way we're introduced to this dude is not how we're introduced to many of the other prophets. When we're introduced to the other prophets, we know immediately, oh, they have a calling of God on their life. They're prophetic. They have this anointing. You can read the minor prophets, the major prophets. Most of them are introduced to us about when they receive the call of the Lord. When we're introduced to Elijah, it says he's a Tishbite from Tishbe. Now let me tell you the theological significance of that. There is none. The tish, he's a Tishbite from Tishbe, meaning he's a normal dude, and this is where he's from. The reason I love Elijah so much is because there was no, no significant spiritual pedigree to his life that somehow qualified him to walk in the anointing of God. You know what qualified him? The fact that he was available when the God of heaven showed up in Tishbe. The fact that when he showed up in his normal life, he said, you know what, I'll do it. And here's what I believe. I believe this wholeheartedly, and I believe I can speak it prophetically, that the move of God that will come in the last days is not going to come through apostles and prophets and pastors. I believe it's going to come through Phil and accounting. And I believe it's going to come through Susie and HR. And I believe it's going to come from somebody that would say, you know what, there ain't nothing special about me, but I got alone with the power of the Holy Spirit, and something in me shifted, and I can't keep my faith to myself. 
Just a Tishbite from Tishbite. I'm just a normal person. Ain't nothing special about me. But I got along with God and I received the purpose. So he's a Tishbite from Tishbite. God shows up to him and calls him to go and, and begin to minister. And let's look at his first assignment. I find this so crazy because his first assignment is that he said to Ahab. Who's Ahab? He's the king of Israel. Now, my first assignment was to go up to my friend Austin at school and say, hey, man, Jesus loves you. That was not nearly as much pressure as walking up to the king of a nation and proclaiming judgment on that king. Let's just start out in the best place possible. Go to the king and tell him, hey, you're doing a terrible job and God is about to judge your nation for it. That was Elijah's first job. He said, as the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, let's look at that phrase again. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. This was Elijah's initial prophecy. And you know what happened? There was no rain for years. God responded to the word of the prophet by saying there's not going to be any rain for years. Elijah didn't get the memo. When you're a prophet, you prophesy nice things. When you're a prophet, you say the Lord is about to open up doors for you that no man can shut. He's going to give you favor with everybody and their brother. And you're going to be promoted to the highest level. And you're going to get a six-figure salary. And you're going to have a nicer house. And you're going to have a nicer car. Elijah didn't get this memo. Because he shows up and he prophesies something that honestly is not attractive. He shows up and he prophesies the removal of rain from Israel's equation. Now, when this happens to you and I, when there's a season of drought, a season where it's dry, a season where things aren't working out, you know what we do? We say, well, the devil's really been fighting against me. Can I tell you something? Be careful who you allocate your drought to. Be careful who you say this dry season was because of. Because when God was moving in the life of Elijah, the way that it showed up was by there not being any rain for three years. The way that God initiated the movement of God in Elijah's life and in the nation of Israel's life was by removing a commodity that they thought they had to have. And when he took it away, it served the purposes of God. Because here's the thing. If there would have been plenty at the genesis of Elijah's ministry, if rain had never gone away, if they had never had drought, if they had never had famine, then ultimately his Mount Carmel moment where God shows up, eradicates idolatry from the land, it wouldn't have taken place. The only thing that contextualized the story to the place that the prophets of Baal would actually show up at Mount Carmel was the fact that there hadn't been rain for years. So be careful who you give the credit for your drought to because sometimes God calls you into moments of struggle. Sometimes when you're walking in the purpose of God, he leads you into things that are painful and hurtful and they're strugglesome. But here's something. This is just a truth for me. And again, this is just a preaching point for me that I just got to make. And I hope that you catch on to it. It's that I would rather struggle in the will of God than prosper outside of it. I'd rather be in the will of God when it hurts. And in the will of God, when I don't understand what he's doing, and I don't know where the dollars are coming from, and I don't know where the housing is coming from, I don't know where the meals are, I'd rather struggle in the will of God than have the highest paying job and the biggest house and the nicest car and lose my soul. I'd rather struggle in the will of God. I didn't get as many amens there as I thought I might, but you might get there by the end of the sermon, so just hang on. We're going someplace. Prosperity can serve as a barrier to your purpose. It can serve as something that actually keeps you from it. Again, I said, if it wouldn't have been for this drought, 
It wouldn't have taken place in the way that it needed to for Elijah. Someone in this room needs to thank God for the stuff that didn't work out. Somebody in here needs to start praising God for the job they didn't get. Somebody needs to start praising God for the relationship that didn't end up in engagement. Can I get an amen right there? The person that you thought they were the one, but God said, nope, and you, you were mad about it, but that drought actually is what led you into your purpose. Somebody needs to be thankful for the opportunity that didn't come along. Because God moves through doubt, drought just as much as he moves through plenty. God can initiate his purpose through seasons of dryness just as much as he can through seasons of prosperity. Let's continue reading. Verse number two. Then the word of the Lord came to him. When did the word? Then. What's then? When he had delivered this hard message to Ahab. He did something hard and then God gave him his next step. It wasn't until he did the hard thing that God said, all right, here's what you need to do next. It wasn't until he was willing to be obedient in something that was unattractive that God said, all right, here's what you need to do next. God will not give you your step B until you complete your step A. And many of us, we come to God and we're like, God, I need you to tell me what to do. He tells us what to do. And we say, all right, cool. I don't really want to do that. I'm going to go live my life for three or four months. I'm going to come back. I'm going to cry in the altar. I'm going to say, tell me what to do. And he said, I already told you four months ago. And we say, no, God, anything besides that, I'll do that. And he said, no, I'm not going to give you the next step until you complete the first step. We want God to call us to reach the nations when we won't even talk to our neighbor. We want God to anoint us to be a a worldwide voice when we won't even share an Instagram post that might have a scripture in it because it might offend one of our 400 followers. I didn't even mean to get on a soapbox right there. You got to do step A before he'll give you step B. All right, I got to go. I got to keep, I got, I got a lot to cover. Verse three, God said to Elijah, get out of here, get away from here and turn eastward. And hide by the brook Cherith or Kareth is how my Bible reader thing said it today. So that might be right. I don't know. Which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, if I'm Elijah and I'm called to the prophetic ministry of the nation of Israel, I'm given an audience with the king. I think my next step is probably the conference circuit. It's probably New York Times bestseller. I probably need to go ahead and get Good Morning America on the phone because I'm going to be there next week. But when God gives him his next step. It's not to a higher platform. It's not to a greater influence. I didn't make this up. This is the words. He said, go and hide. No, 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 God, you don't understand. You just put the anointing of the prophet on my life. People need to see this anointing. The people need to know that I'm Elijah. And when I say stuff, it happens. Did you not know that I said there'd be a drought and now there ain't been no rain since then? People need to know. God said, go hide by the brook Kareth. He said, your first step is not to garner greater influence, but actually to find your way to a greater level of insignificance. If you're going to follow God, it's not about getting more followers. It's about becoming less of myself. John said it this way. The only way that he can increase is for me to decrease. So he had to go to the brook Gareth. He had to go sit there and be in hiding because before God's power, he had to make sure that his gift was thoroughly hidden before God's power could be revealed. Here's what I believe. I believe that revelation is a commodity reserved for the hidden place. You want God to really reveal who he is? You got to get out of the spotlight. 
You want God to really reveal who he is? you got to stop trying to use the gift that he gave you until he's ready to release the gift that he gave you and trust him with the process, trust him with the timing, and continue to go back to him. Revelation is a commodity of the hidden place. We live in a generation that has become so accustomed to influence it's acquired overnight. I mean, we got YouTube stars that literally nobody knew who they were, and then they posted a video, and the next day they had a million views, and they're getting 100,000 followers, and they have a platform out of nowhere. We got people that jump on TikTok and immediately they're known and they're well-known and they're famous. And we got people on Instagram that have all these followers. And the problem is that they never went through a process to acquire that platform. And so they don't have the needed tools to sustain that platform. Because God's giving you tools. David, you know what, you know what David used when he went back into battle? After, after he had been at the house of Obed-Edom for a while, you know what he used? He used the sword of Goliath. You know how he knew how to use the sword of Goliath? Because he had been a shepherd boy that went to the battle, used five, five, five smooth stones and slain Goliath. It was the process that got him ready for the ultimate battle that would lead him to the throne. He wasn't ready until then. And so we got to be willing to hide. Because here's the thing. If we get a platform too early, we're going to start taking glory for ourselves. Premature platforms lead to misplaced glory. And if God gives you influence before you've really experienced intimacy, you're going to mishandle it. You're going to misuse it, and you're going to lead people to what you can give them and not what God can give them. So Elijah had to go to the place of hiding. He goes to Kareth. Kareth is, is translated the place to where you hollow out or you dig or you empty. So Elijah had to go to the place of emptying. He had to go to the place of pouring out, of digging out. Now, if you thought I'd stepped on toes already, I promise you, this is probably the most toe-tepping on part. I, I said that wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> Toe-stepping on is what I meant to say. He goes to Kareth, the place of emptying. Here's the thing. We have a tendency to ask God to fill vessels that haven't been emptied yet. Oh, come on. Come on. We want God to pour it out, Lord. And he said, I ain't going to pour it out until you pour you out. If you want me to give you more of me. Here's the thing. The flesh and the spirit are like oil and water. They're not going to mix. And so what you and I have, the tension of following Jesus our whole life, is trying to figure out how to get less and less of the flesh so we can have more and more of the spirit. But the problem is that hurts. Emptying yourself hurts it's a painful process but God said if you're going to be used in the way that I want you to use you got to go to the place of emptying you and I we like to we say God fill me up until it costs our income fill me up until it costs promotion until it costs our reputation because I'm gonna tell you something soapbox again if you're gonna really live by this book and you're gonna really preach this book and you're going to really believe what this book says, you will not be popular in 2022 in America. You might have people that know your name, but being popular doesn't necessarily mean they know your name. It means that they agree with what you say. We live in a culture that is absolutely doing everything they can to tear us away from this book. And so you and I have to make a decision. I'm going to empty myself out of any aspirations to be liked if I'm going to stay true to the word of God. Before God can fill you, he wants to take you through a season of emptying. Let's go to verse 5. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I find this, this is a beautiful thing that he obeys, God supplies. Let's continue reading the next verse, verse number seven. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, I'm moving quickly through this story, so I just, just hang with me. Because he finally gets there, and, and it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, let's be real. Literally, God is sending raven butlers with food. And I don't know what it was. I, I think it was probably good because, you know, God's not going to give you nothing nasty. And so he's sending this food with the ravens, and he's sitting there, and he's drinking this water by the brook. And, and Elijah's got it made because, remember, the rest of the nation is in drought and famine. He's getting all his needs met. He's enjoying his life. He's supernaturally being provided for. And the way that I think it happens, Scripture just gives us the story pretty bluntly in, in, in black and white. I think there was probably a part of the, of the time where, towards the end, where Elijah goes to the brook, gets his water, and thinks, huh, this don't look quite as high as it did yesterday. Keeps coming back. Oh, it just keeps getting lower. Till finally he comes the last day, gets one little bit of whatever he needs to survive and the brook is dry now Elijah was a man and because he was a man I would imagine he felt a certain level of anxiety at this point the brook is no longer filled this is my sustenance this is what God is using to meet my needs and the brook is dry I wonder if Elijah didn't have some anxiety because that word after a while, is actually translated kes, which is at the a definite, end of a definite time when a destination is reached. He reaches this point of the end of that season and God dried up the brook. Why? I got to hurry. The reason that God dried up the brook is because he loved Elijah too much to let him stay at a place that wasn't the fulfillment of his purpose. And in fact, you can continue reading and it says that when the brook dried up, it was after that. Look, then the word of the Lord came to him. When? When the brook dried up. When my certainty and my security was taken away, that's when God told me, all right, here's my next step for you. Here's what I have for you to do. It was when the brook dried up that God opened up his mouth and said, I want you to continue going. He came to the place of emptying and he faced this trouble, but he didn't get a fresh word until he got a fresh worry. He didn't get a new voice from God in his life until he had a new struggle in his life. And so you and I, we fight against uncertainty with everything that we have. Lord, I don't want to do anything that might cost me something that's going to hurt. And God says, listen, if you want me to speak to you, you got to let some brooks dry up. you got to let some things that you've been depending on go. Because here's the thing. God loves you too much to let you depend on anything that isn't him. And if you're dependent on the thing or the job or the relationship or whatever it may be, God's going to say, you know what? Let that brook dry up so that I can give you your next word. So he gives him a word. He says, go to Zarephath. There's a widow there. She's going to provide your needs. So Elijah gets up and begins journeying to Zarephath. Zarephath means the place of refining. He's called to the place of emptying, but then he's called to the place of refining. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, there's a moment of emptying, a moment of surrender that you've got to give your whole life to him. But then when you do follow him, you're in a continual process of being refined. It's called sanctification, and it's still a real thing in the church in 2022. We still need to live a sanctified life. I know I ain't going to get no help right there, but we still need to let God refine some things off of us. We still need to let God take some things out of our life. The word refine literally means to remove impurities or anything that goes against the element of the thing. 
And so if you and I are to be people of the Spirit, you know what refining means? It means removing everything that is not conducive to the Spirit of God that He's put inside of us. I still believe refining means that my entertainment should change after I follow Jesus. I still believe that refinement means that what I listen to, watch, what I partake of, the way my relationships are, the way I spend my money, the way I work at my job, it all should be refined when I follow after Jesus. Because when you go past the place of emptying, you have to step into the place of refining. So he gets to Zarephath. The widow begins to meet his need. And man, I'm telling I have so much stuff. I'm trying to hurry. It's 1034. We got a service at 1115. I am trying to go. I've been used to one service, y'all. <laughs> Came to him and said, go to Zarephath. It didn't come to the brook of dry, but he gets to Zarephath. The woman begins to meet his needs, begins to provide water for him. And scripture says, I got I to gotta jump to this verse said that she, when he came to the, the gate of the city, he found a weed, widow there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. Look at this next verse. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, I love this because they're in a drought. God's already dealt with her. You're going to provide for the prophet. He shows up, says, I need something to drink. She, she's going to get it, which is a costly sacrifice in the middle of a drought. To provide water for a prophet in the middle of a drought is a costly sacrifice. But while she's going to get it, she's already saying yes to God. She's already sacrificially giving. She's already written the check for the back-to-school outreach, and she's already giving towards it when during in a recession. She's already doing it. And as she's going, this prophet is so audacious and has so much gall that as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, and when you're getting that water, would you please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand? And it's at this point that she just loses it. She's like, hold on now. I'll get you some water because I got a few days worth of that. But I got one meal left. I got enough for just enough bread for me and my boy to eat. And if I give it to you, we don't got nothing. And this is where I'm actually going to wrap up today. I'm going to get right here. We're going to hang out for a minute and then we're going to go into the altar. So if the worship team wants to get ready. She said, I got just enough for me and my son. We're going to eat that and we're going to die. For her to bring this piece of bread was a complete surrender of every resource that she had. She could give some water and still have just a little bit of margin. But when God said, when he said, I want a morsel of bread, she said, but that's everything. See, here's the thing. You and I like to, we like to think that we can sacrifice to a point to where we're slightly uncomfortable. But ultimately, we're going to be okay. I can still pay my bills. I could still, you know, maintain some sense of cultural relevance. I can still be liked by those around me. And so we're on our way to get the water. We're just getting a little bit of a sacrifice to make us feel good that, yes, we did sacrifice a little bit. We like to think that challenging our comfort zone is enough when God is calling us to abandon our comfort zone. He's calling us to surrender everything. And I love what he said, because if you continue reading this verse, 
She said, as Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar, gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare for myself. And look what Elijah said. He said, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it and first and bring it to me. These two words. And afterward. You know what's significant about that? Read what she said. That I may go in, prepare for myself, my son. We eat it and die. In her mind, the preparation of this bread and the partaking of this bread is the end of the story. But when God steps into the equation, he says, bring me everything you have and run the same process you've been running. But there's an afterward on the other side of my plan. See, we think, God, if I give you everything... I'm not going to have enough. I mean, I, I've been saving this. I've been putting this back because I, I just need to use this, and then it's going to get me through to this point. And if I can get to this point, then that'll be fine. And we have this, this final plan, this definite plan written out. And God says, no, bring me what you have. Your plan's all well and good, but your plan is stopping way too soon. Because when you trust God with it, there's an afterward where you and I put an end. There's an afterward where you said, that's enough. That's all that we can do. We, see, here's the thing. When we surrender our limited resources to an unlimited God, we step out of the economy of America. And we step out of the economy of a society and into the economy of heaven. And my Bible still says that he's able to meet all my needs according to his riches in glory. So whether a recession comes or a recession doesn't come, whether the dollar is at a peak or it's in a valley, my supplier is still the economy that's able to provide no matter what I'm facing. So I want to surrender to him. She brings him the bread. And he eats of it. And she goes back the next day. I love this story, man. Goes back the next day. <laughs> There's more meal in the barrel. She makes another piece of bread. And see, I'm just crazy enough. I believe the barrel was empty every time. I believe that every time she made a meal, she thought this is probably the last one. And then she'd go back the next day. And there it was again. See, here's the thing. We live in a culture in, and the church in the West, we have, we have preached prosperity. And God's going to give you millions. And, and don't, I mean, Lord, if you want to, like, I'm here for it. Like, But I've come to the realization that prosperity is not nearly as beautiful as provision. Because when prosperity is provided, you and I can take the lump sum of what God has given us and go about our business. But when I'm living in providence, I got to keep coming back to the source. I got to keep trusting. And we try to graduate to a place to where trust is no longer required. And friend, I want to tell you to truly be a follower of Jesus. You will never graduate from dependence. You will never graduate from trust. What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish with this message today, Pastor Tyler? What's your end game? There's all, you always need to have an aim when you're preaching the word of God. You need to... I think, I think you know, when I was thinking about what that would be, my goal today is that if, if you haven't heard that call, that you maybe temper your expectations some to know that just because God calls you doesn't mean that life's going to be rosy and beautiful from here on out. But maybe also for some of us that have received it, we've been walking through a season of struggle. 
that the enemies tried to show up and say, hey, you didn't really hear from God. You did. Just because the brook's drying up don't mean you're not where you're supposed to be. Just just because you don't know how in the world you're going to make a meal tomorrow doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. It means that he's calling you to a place of dependence. And if you'll go there, Scripture says that they continued to eat for many days. You know when they continued to eat until? They continued to eat until the drought was over. Until rain was falling again. And they were able to produce the crops that God intended for them to produce in the first place. I want you to stand with me today. If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.